You're listening to the Harborside Church Podcast. To connect with us online, go to www.harborside.org. We hope you enjoy this message. Well, good morning and thanks for having this stage built just for me, Dave. That's a nice welcome. Um, my name's Andrew Sloan. I'm one of the regulars uh, here at Harborside um, and it's my privilege to speak about the text we've just heard. Why don't we pray and ask that, as I say stuff, God might. Our Lord and God, your word is such a great gift to us. We thank you for the work that you do in us through it, and we ask that by your spirit you might continue that work this morning. Please speak to us. Please plant your word deep and firmly in our hearts, and by that same spirit, may it bear much fruit for your glory, for Christ's sake. Amen. So this morning, we're looking at this, I think, fantastic psalm. But as Dave was saying, it's a a psalm which prompts us to think, to think about the kind of world we live in and, and how we find ourselves in it. Sometimes the world is a a lovely place for us. We feel it's all in order. Everything's going right. Other times, the world falls apart. That's the kind of stuff that this psalm talks about. And sometimes when the world falls apart, it's horrible and dramatic. It it explodes around us. There are so many ways the world can fall apart. Sometimes we feel, I'm not sure if you've ever seen old brick chimneys, you know, like the old incinerators and stuff, and they're often demolished by someone planting clever explosives around, and the whole thing just crumbles, rains of bricks and mortar. Sometimes our world feels like a brick chimney crashing down or a plane flying into a building. Our world explodes. People in the horrible Victorian bushfires or floods in Queensland or I guess perhaps a little smaller scale, people who bought bought flats in the Opal Tower. Sometimes... That's how we experience the world. The world is a dangerous place and it feels as though it's crashing down around us. For us, one of my clearest memories of this is now about 20 years old. I'm an old bloke. So um, back then, um, my family and I were, uh, had travelled to the States. I was there on uh, study leave working at Yale University, which is really cool, fantastic thing. We were just settling in. I was working with a particular philosopher there and we were just getting ourselves settled. um, uh, We're in a little unit. We had the stuff we needed. Um, This is back in 1999, so we didn't have mobile phones and all that kind of stuff. And I got a call from my mother uh, to say that my dad had just had a devastating stroke. It was in intensive care and they didn't know whether he'd survive the night. We were in New Haven on the east coast of the States and I had to figure out what, what on earth are we going to do. 
everything seemed to be going so well and then the world exploded around us. I had to leave, well, what we chose to do was I left Alison and the kids back in the States and I caught a plane, 36 hours, no communication with my family from New Haven to New York to LA to Sydney, not knowing whether when I landed I would have a father. Sometimes the world feels like it's exploding around us and all our hopes and dreams are raining down like bricks around us. Sometimes it's not quite so dramatic. Sometimes when the world falls apart, it just crumbles. It's slow but relentless, like a sandcastle crumbling slowly before the advancing tide. Disaster just seems to sneak up on us. Little things pile up, maybe insignificant in themselves, but gradually you feel like a sandcastle nervously facing the oncoming tide. Bad day at work, difficult boss, series of small or large disappointments, a sick husband, a late paycheck, a bad essay, trouble at school, who knows. It all mounts up, mounts up, mounts up. Anxiety builds and the world seems an uncertain, dangerous place. Sometimes life is like that. The world falls apart. It's those circumstances that this psalm addresses. That is the kind of world to which this psalm speaks. The Psalms, I love the Psalms. John um, has led us in the first couple of uh, these summer Psalm series. Um, fantastic work. And he reminded us that there, there are 150 of these things and they address all of life's complexities. And the Psalms are, are, are quite fearless in the ways in which they identify the realities of the world in which we live. And they present us with lots of ways of addressing them. So one of the things that we find frequently through the Psalms is this recognition that the world is a dangerous place, a stressful place, a straitened, confined, constrained place. And there are lots of ways that the Psalms respond to that. One of them, um, the one that I, tends to be my default position, I must admit, admit, is what's called lament. It's where people find the world a dangerous place and they cry out to God in their distress and ask the God who is meant to be the kind and sovereign Lord to show something of that in the world in which they live. This, however, is not Psalm 22, which calls us to honestly wrestle with God in distress. This is Psalm 46, and it calls us to confident trust. Why it does that is to flash before our eyes snapshots of chaos, as I'd put it, images of the world exploding or slowly falling apart. But it flashes those snapshots against the bright backdrop of confident faith 
in the God who is present with God's people. It's a psalm that reminds us, it calls us to acknowledge and know that whether the chimney's crashing down or the sandcastle is crumbling, God is with us. And that's where it starts. You notice that? I love the way this psalm starts. God is our refuge and strength. It starts off with this glorious, confident cry of trust. God is our refuge and our strength. Always found a help in trouble. That's where it kicks off. But please notice this. This confidence... This is not a confidence that closes its eyes to the world, that pretends everything is okay. This confidence, far from ignoring trouble, is founded on God's action and presence precisely in times of disaster. Notice this. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help when? in trouble, in distress. And so we won't fear, not because everything's cool and calm and collected, we will not fear, though, the earth falls apart. What grounds our confidence, this trust in God, is the shared awareness of God's faithfulness in the past which gives us knowledge of who God is and enables us to trust God in any imaginable future. This this knowledge of who God is, how God works in the world, the the faithfulness of God is is kind of like a, a light that shines through all our experience, that backlights us, backlights everything we know and helps us to see it to see it truly, to see how it transforms our world. That's the backlight, but the reality, what it portrays to us, is once again not a safe, calm, peaceful world, but a world that's falling apart. The first snapshot of chaos that the psalm throws up for us lit by this confident faith, is, well, it's nature, the world itself, turning on its head. It's a world-shaking natural disaster. The picture that we see back here in verses 2 and 3 is of a, a mammoth earthquake. It's so significant that it seems as though the very foundations of the world are crumbling and it's about to collapse back into the chaos from which it came. The world itself shudders and seems about to fail. Now, I've not, I've not experienced anything like this. I mean, people in the world do. There's the earthquake and tsunami back in 2004 on the Pacific Rim. Or friends of mine um, lived through the Newcastle earthquake way back in the 90s and others, the Christchurch quakes of 2011, and this is what it does to the world. Those who've lived through an earthquake, some of you may have, 
People who've lived through it tell, tell me it's the most frightening experience they've had. The ground itself, that which we, it's the image of, of solidity, of confidence, isn't it? Of, of firm surety. The, the ground on which we stand falls apart. Everything seems to give way underneath us and we're left falling in the lap of chaos. And sometimes that's what life is like. That's what it felt like when I picked up the phone in New Haven and heard that my father was unconscious and intubated in intensive care and might not survive the night. When I put down the phone and Alison and I talked about what the hell we were going to do now on the other side of the world, six months committed to this particular project, do we all go home and abandon the whole thing? Do I abandon them there back in the States? The world gave way beneath us. That, that is when this psalm says we will not Community of faith can have confidence even then. Why? Not because everything's going well. Not because our plans are working out as we wanted. But because God is with us. Therefore, we will not fear. Now, let's, let's be real. The people, all the people who ever used this psalm knew the reality of a dangerous, unstable world. Israel, Palestine is actually tectonically reasonably unstable. Um, there are fairly frequent earthquakes. You can see that in Amos, the beginning of Amos. It, it dates itself from the earthquake. It must have been big enough for everyone to remember it. That kind of natural disaster is something that people in that part of the world were familiar with. And those who use this psalm join the psalmist in saying, even then we can trust God. And please notice, that trust doesn't need to wait until the quaking stops. Nor does God's help mean that the world, the earth grows still. It is in the quaking that we can trust. For it is in the quaking that God is found a ready help. If the people who used this psalm knew the reality of an unstable natural world, they also knew the reality of an unstable political world. Indeed, Israel, Palestine, is a place of seemingly perpetual violence. Over the last 3,000 years, on average, every 40 years, a major invasion sweeps down through that part of the world. Every 40 years, on average, no generation dies without seeing a major international political disaster of some kind or another. Amazing. Uh, in Australia, I, people in Australia, well, at least those of us like me who've lived most of our lives here, we, 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 we really don't understand that. Other people in the world do. This sense of history falling apart was very familiar, though, to the people who used this psalm. And here they're called, again, to remember the reality of that 
instability, but to do so in light of confident trust in God and God's care for God's people and God's city. We'll get to that in a moment. But again, it's interesting how this psalm is constructed because it begins with this picture, this, the backlight that illuminates the experience of political disaster. And what lightens that experience, helps them to see it through these eyes of confident faith, is this. There's a river. What? Isn't that a bit weird? Like, you hear all this stuff, we will not fear that the world falls apart, and then in verse 4, there's a river. There's a river in Jerusalem. Well, you know, there actually isn't, really. This is it. This is the Gihon Trickle. Um, that's Hezekiah's tunnel, which was born through the, bored through the limestone under Jerusalem, which goes from the Gihon Spring um, and brings water into the city. The, that's it. Like, you can literally, where that photo's taken, you can literally stand with your feet in the water and touch either side of the tunnel. Do you call it a river? I mean, Australia, we don't have a lot of water around, right? But even in Australia, you don't call that a river, do you? Do you? What's the, that's, and that's as much water as there is flowing through Jerusalem. So what's going on here? Clearly, it's not a description of the, the kind of physical reality. So what's this river that gladdens, that brings joy to God's town? Well, we're actually told. Notice the description. This, this town is the holy place where the Most High dwells. This river is an image of God's presence, the rich provision that is available for God's people because God is there with them. It's kind of fun when you think about this image, this picture of water. Do you, do you remember back in verses 2 and 3, we had this picture of chaos? There's a lot of water going around there, isn't there? The water's roaring and raging and the people, the world is quaking in terror at what the water's doing. Now, the water is not a symbol of chaos, but of presence and provision. The water that previously threatened now beckons. It's a friend, not a foe. And so Jerusalem, the psalm says, will never fall apart, will never stagger. Unlike the world back in verses 2 and 3, which staggers, which falls, Jerusalem will not. Unlike the nations, as we'll see, which stagger and fall, Jerusalem stands secure why? Because God is there. God will come to Jerusalem's aid. This isn't some kind of arrogant, arrogant nationalism, the idea that we're special, everything's going to be cool because we're so good. This is the recognition that God is with God's people and that has implications. But again, notice that this is despite the chaos of history because as the psalm goes on, History seems to fall apart. They've reaffirmed their trust here. They've backlit the chaos. 
But now they turn to the violent raging of the nations in verse 6. The nations stagger as the earth did, as the mountains. The, the nations roar in rebellion as the waters did. This political chaos is another image here of rebellion against Yahweh, against the Lord. And as John reminded us last week, rebellion's everywhere, but revolt always proves futile. But look at God's response. God speaks. God gives forth God's voice. The earth melts. It's in circumstances like this, even this, that again the psalm reminds us that the Lord is with us. It's in circumstances like this, even this, that we can have confidence, not because everything goes right. And it's interesting. The, the psalm says Zion will not fall, but, you know, after the first maybe eight, ten generations of people who used this psalm, everyone who used this psalm did so in the memory that Zion had fallen, that Jerusalem had been sacked by the Babylonians, that the temple had been burnt down to the ground, that the people of God had been scattered through the nations. Every generation that used this psalm knew that Zion too had tottered and fallen. So where do they get off using this psalm? How on earth does that work? It works in part this way. Remember, right back at the start of the psalm, it's not the peace that grounds our confidence. It's the presence of God. One of the things that Israel came to realise in the ruins of their history was that even then God was with God's people. Even then, even then God is our refuge and our strength. That even then the God of Jacob is with us. When all their fortresses have fallen, God has not. That's something that should be pretty plain to us, I think. One of the problems for Israel's faith was, it's kind of a problem, kind of not, um, what came to be a problem was the, the, the importance of the city and the temple. The temple for Old Testament believers was where God was. That's a holy dwelling place where the Lord Almighty is available, present for God's people. For us, the presence of God, we, we, it works very differently, doesn't it, since the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You know, that bloke who said, tear down this temple, three days it'll take, I'll build it up again. Yeah? The, the one who is present with his people, by his spirit. The presence of God for us doesn't depend on a building. Yeah, it's pretty nice, but you know, it doesn't depend on this. 
doesn't even depend on this bunch of people with whom we gather, although that's very good and important. The presence of God with God's people us is grounded in the sure confidence we have in the God who died for us and was raised for us and lives with us. The God of Jacob is with us. But nonetheless, we're faced with this puzzle of history, aren't we? We're faced with these claims that are made, these promises that are given to us that God is with God's people. And we can, therefore, have confidence and trust. History doesn't read clearly that way, does it? Where this psalm takes us, then, is interesting. Where it goes next is, is not just history. It takes us beyond the possibilities of ordinary history. And it, and it kind of projects the light of the glorious end of God's purposes. We look at the light of faith, this, this hope that stands before us. All of the, the, the whole psalm comes to a head in verses 8 through 11 where the picture of God's sovereign rule reaches this climax, a climax in which all conflict is brought to an end, all chaos is defeated in Yahweh's victory over all foes. In verse 8, the worshipping community is called to come and see, to come and see the works of Yahweh. Now the light that's been used to illuminate their experience of chaos is itself examined. They turn from snapshots of chaos to the bright picture of God's ultimate peace. And this is how it unfolds. A bit weird, actually, when you think about it. Come and see what Yahweh, what the Lord has done. You think, okay, this is going to be cool. The desolations he's brought on the earth. What? He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. Good. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. This picture, this is a picture of the war to end all wars. Verse 9, you see, this, this, this image of breaking the bow, shattering the spear, burning the shields, probably better actually translated the carts with fire. You can have a look at the footnote of your NIV if it's there. This is a picture of a, a battlefield after victory has been won and defeat has been endured. It looks like this is Q8 after the first Iraq war, if I remember correctly. You see burnt-out armaments and transport just lying broken and bent and battered. And this is the image that we have in verse 9. Really? Just think about it. 
Yahweh makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. And we think that that's going to be a nice, gentle, peaceful thing. Except history tells us that the people who inhabit this planet are people who, as John reminded us last week, whose fundamental stance is against God and God's people, who take up weapons against God and God's reign. And there are two ways to make wars cease. One is for people to lay down their arms. The other is to have them taken from them. In that context that we hear this, perhaps the best known verse in Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. I think most of you know this. Some of you might actually have something like this on your fridge or on your wall. This is the kind of poster that you normally have, yeah? So you're nodding? Okay, you're going to have to tear it up. No, um, this is the kind of thing you can find in Christian bookstores, right? This nice, peaceful, gentle scene, or it might be a beautiful uh, mist-covered lake. And Psalm 46, verse 10, is emblazoned across it. Be, be still and know that I am God. Really? Really? Breathe gently and know that I am God. Really? Not here. Not in this psalm. Not in the world that we know. In this world, what we hear is not a gentle beckoning voice, but a demand from the sovereign Lord who says, Stop! Enough! This is a call not to quiet contemplation. This is a call to put down weapons and surrender. To no longer stand as we so often stand in rebellion against the sovereign Lord Almighty. But to let them go. To put up our hands. And in so doing, Acknowledge that God is God. It is then, not be still, but be still. Then we know that God is with us. It's only then when we down our rebellious tools that we can experience God's rule as that which blesses us and gives us peace. And yes, it does whatever our circumstances, and an extraordinary peace. For this God is with us, the God who breaks bows and shatters spears is the one who is with us, the one who is our fortress, the strong place we run to when the world falls apart. Wonderful for us to hear that, isn't it? You know, it's all very well and good for us 
talk about earthquakes and violence on an international scale for most of us, that's well beyond our experience. It's kind of safe, oddly, isn't it? It's kind of safe to think, oh, yes, if there were an earthquake, yes, I'd trust. Yes, if there were a grand international invasion, yes, I'd trust. It's so distant, so far from our experience, it's easy to say. But what about those times when it feels that our world is falling apart? When we look at the year that opens before us and it feels like a dangerous, uncertain, unstable place. That's when this psalm invites us to say God is our refuge and our strength. And it's, it's not as if we somehow have to grit our teeth and flex our spiritual muscles all on our own. It doesn't do this in a vacuum, for it reminds us of God's great saving acts in the past. It reminds us of God's work in creation, in nature, in history, in saving Israel, in what God has done for us in the Lord Jesus, and so demonstrating that God alone is sovereign Lord, the only one in whom we can trust, and so the one in whom we must trust. It's interesting, isn't it, when we think about the way in which God showed that God is Lord in the Lord Jesus. That act in which God demonstrated God's sovereign rule, in which, as Paul puts it, he triumphed over the principalities and powers, that was what? In the cross in this moment of utter chaos, of miserable defeat, that is when God reigned as Lord. But we're also reminded that this is the Lord who raised Jesus from the dead and so will raise us. And so we look beyond the possibilities of our history to that glorious future that glorious future in which God's sovereignty will be shown in triumph over every enemy. And so, in times of chaos, when everything seems to fall apart around us, we remember. And these images of God's sovereign power backlight our experience. And that enables us to say, even when the world explodes or crumbles around us, God is our refuge and our strength. I remember sitting on that plane, or a series of planes, in fact, 36 hours, not knowing what was happening with my father. I remember sitting there. I was deeply puzzled because I said my normal response in circumstances like this is to lament, to say, God, what, what do you think you're doing in the world? But I found myself sitting on a plane, and it was like God was speaking these words I almost heard that I don't have kind of weird experiences of God like that. I can remember sitting, in, sitting on the plane hearing, God is our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. Therefore, I will not fear. And I thought, I don't know what's happening. I had no confidence. There was no sense, by the way, that my dad was going to be alive when I landed. That's not what God was doing. It was whatever I found when I got off the plane and made the run to the hospital, whatever I found, God 
was with us. As it turned out, Dad was still alive uh, when I got there, still in ICU. He was in ICU for quite some time. He was quite broken by the stroke. It was not as if his world came back together again at the end of it. He didn't, literally, he didn't walk out of hospital. So it's not as if somehow that experience depends on a happy ending to the story. It doesn't. What it depends on is this, that this is the God who has made promises. And one of those promises, sure and certain, is that God is with us. And so we need not fear. Shall we pray? Our Lord and God, we hear these words and we ask that in your kindness you make, might make them real for us, that wherever we find ourselves now, you would remind us that you are here with us by your Spirit, that in you we can have sure and certain confidence that whatever our circumstances, you are our God and you love us, for Christ's sake.